All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas and if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 669 points, or 2%. The S&P 500 for the week was up about 77 points, or 1.8%. And the NASDAQ for the week was up about 265 points, or 2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.9%. The S&P 500 for the year to date is up 11.5%. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 26.5%. And we just finished the month of May. Really a mixed bag for performance in the in the major indexes. The Dow was actually down about 3.5%. The S&P was up only one quarter of 1%. We'll call that pretty close to flat. But the NASDAQ was up 5.8% for the month of May. Now I have one more statistic that I got hot off the press right before airtime. I'm going to read you a statistic about the NASDAQ. Now, this is through the 30th, May the 30th, uh, which was, I guess that was Wednesday, if my memory serves me correctly. Well, maybe I'm – so Thursday, yeah. uh, through, to, through 2023's first 100 trading days – the NASDAQ has been up over 20% year-to-date for just the fifth time in its history. Now, remember, the NASDAQ is the newest of the major market averages that we have always talked about at the beginning of every MoneyWise program since we started here 18 years ago. So the NASDAQ's only existed since 1971. Now, there were four other years where the NASDAQ index was up 20% 20% or more in its first 100 days. That was 1975, 83, 86, and 1991. Now, in three of those four years, the NASDAQ closed higher or lower by the end of the year 
I have a feeling knowing you and bring up this statistic. And where it was hey, on the, the bear boy, I think it lower. Three of the four exactly. times it was lower, lower. Than, it, than the performance was lower at the end of the year than it was on its 100th day. So statistically. Okay, but let me ask you this question. of the time, it's been lower. Hold on. So let me ask you this question about that statistic. Out of yeah. the years that you just listed right. where it was up 20-plus percent in its first 100 days, how many of those years, the year before, was the NASDAQ down more than 30%? That I can't answer. And I'm going to say most likely none of those years. And so we have to put things into context because the NASDAQ was the most hurt Index of the major indexes in 2022. Yeah, go ahead, well, Joe. I, I want to make a comment. I mean, if you look at the Nasdaq where it is year to date, and the S and P year to date, how much of this is driven by AI in probably the last month and a half or the last two months? And we talked about seven stocks leading the index and where it's being pushed, and the equally weighted uh, index versus the market weighted index, and is this going to be an AI bubble? And I was thinking Friday and reminiscing. With some of my old firms, is this a bubble or not? Well, I think if we ever have like an AI ETF or a mutual fund that has all AI stocks in it, then we have an issue. Because I remember the tech bubble, certain company, certain funds like the Mundernet Net Fund and a certain company I work for, we had a fund called the Internet Tragedies Fund. I don't think we're there yet. So I know I saw that AI bubble a little bit, and it just made me re- – I just dated myself about how long ago that was. I do remember all these packaged products capitalizing on the Internet or, ca- or, or, or on technology, capitalizing on telecommunications. But I just thought that was interesting. Well, how much was driven by AI? Yeah, Jeff. But to take this a step further – the S&P has also had some very interesting statistics because, as I'd said at the beginning of this program, without dividends, the S&P 500 through close of business Friday was up 11.5%. That's the standard S&P 500. That's the market cap weighted index. But Kyle has the, the statistic for the equally weighted S&P 500 exchange traded fund. And how much is this, that up this year, Kyle? Well, this is through Thursday's close. Thursday. It's up a right. whopping 0.15%. So, and we've talked about this on past programs, how it's these 10 primary stocks that have been driving more than 90% of the return of the S&P 500 year to date. And Joe, to your point, yes, we know there was a ton of technology stocks that just got absolutely bludgeoned in 2022. And so at the beginning of the year, I would say first quarter, Definitely, there was a lot of, of of traders that were going in and finding some great values with some great fundamentally sound companies for, you know, maybe hopefully some longer-term holds. But I think this whole AI craze has helped accelerate because I think the last couple months, like you said, Joe, more and more media coverage has been revolving around AI, which has helped accelerate the situation with the NASDAQ, which has also helped accelerate the performance that's been driving over 90% of the return in the S&P 500. But what that means for the home gamer and for the individual investor is there's still a lot of solid, fundamentally strong companies that have been getting no love so far year to date. But I do want to say on Friday, noticed a little bit of a shift and a little bit of a trend. You know, large cap value, which we participate in in all of our portfolios, 
that pay good solid dividends, have a lot of growth at reasonable price type stocks, have really not been getting a lot of buying action so far year to date. And in fact, it's the one asset class that's been a little bit of an albatross around the neck of the equity side of our portfolio to to an extent. Well, guess what? The large cap value sector outperformed the S&P 500 on Friday. We started seeing small caps, which are very, very much undervalued and a great place to add value to your portfolio, got through the roof as far as the Russell 2000. So we started to see some unloved sectors of the market finally start getting some love on Friday. But let's pause right there, take our first commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing to recap uh, Wall Street from this past week. And the point I was making before the break is you know, when you only have a handful of stocks in the S&P 500 that's driven more than 90% of the return, and we've talked about this on past MoneyWise programs in the past couple of months, is that there is still a lot of solid, fundamentally sound companies that have just not been getting any attention. You know, and as we've talked about how we've, uh, how we've created our portfolios, you know, going back to last year and continuing this year, really focusing on growth at a reasonable price with a little bit of a tilt to value, but we're still not completely out of growth. I mean, we have plenty of technology in our portfolios, but the bottom line is on Friday, finally started seeing some buying interest in very well-valued stocks in the value space and the small cap space that outperformed the broader S&P 500 and actually started seeing a little bit of profit-taking in some of these AI tech names that have just been knocking the cover off the ball for the past month and a half or so and getting a lot of press. And the other thing that I guess gives me – I don't want to use the word hope because hope is a bad four-letter word when it comes to investing. Is that I've I've seen some green shoots. (laughs) Okay, okay, no, Joe, we'll we'll use two years on the show. I think. Yeah, we'll we'll go to green shoots. Is that over the last four days we're starting to see volume pick up, and I'm talking volume above the daily moving average, which is telling me that we're finally starting to get some retail. Mom and pop investors starting to get some interest. Could also include some longer-term institutional managers like ourselves at Davidson Capital Management, where it's not just a market chock full of just the day traders and the algorithms and the hot money folks. So that's something else that that I like to see. Now, obviously, we got this debt ceiling issue out of the way. You know, I, I was a little nervous. I know that we are all on record thinking, saying that they were going to get it done. But I was quite impressed with getting 300, was it 314, 317 votes in the House 
for this debt ceiling package and then the Senate finally getting it done late Thursday evening and on President Biden's desk for him to sign and get it done. So we got that out of the way. Now, are we going to be going on this credit watch? I mean, is Fitch going to dare lower the credit rating for the U.S. Treasury, you know, for U.S. government debt? I, I would hope not, and I don't think Standard & Poor's, I, hopefully they learned their lesson in 2011 to not do that. So I think we're out of the woods there. And then now it comes back to the Fed. And I know, Joe, you were talking before the show, you wanted to get a survey of all yeah. of us because the Fed meeting is coming in a couple of weeks. Their meeting is June 13th and 14th with the decision coming out the 14th and their presser press conference that afternoon on the 14th of Jeff's opinion, my opinion, your opinion of what we think the Fed is going to do on the 14th. Right. So, and, and we're breaking this little survey in and, you know, I'm, I saw it on TV Friday, but okay. Are, is the Fed, are they going to skip interest rate hikes? Are they going to pause or are they going to hike? And I want to do a little quick round table and I, and we're talking during the break and I, th- I like Jeff's comment the most so far, but we'll go to Jeff first and Kyle, then me. And then but Jeff, what did you, what do you think? It's a hawkish pause. A hawkish pause. <laughs> if that and, is new and, terminology. And in full disclosure, I did not make that up, ladies and gentlemen. I heard it from somebody else. Okay. I, I agree with the terminology. Because what whatever they do something or don't do something, there's always this qualification about what they might do next. And so just because they pause doesn't mean that it's the end of the interest rate tightening cycle. Does not mean that. So there will probably be something in the statement that talks about how they're still data dependent and if the data comes in in such a way that they don't like it and and we start to see the, the, the CPI numbers or whatever numbers they're looking at head back the other way, we reserve the right to resume rate increases. And the timing is – I think the Fed ought to move their, their meetings back another, another week because it seems like we've had a couple of meetings here where the CPI and or PPI, the Consumer Price Index or the Producer Price Index, are announced – on or the day before a Fed meeting where they don't necessarily have time to digest it it and talk about it, meet about it and discuss it and then make a decision. Well, here we go again. June's meeting is on the day that the C, I believe it's CPI. No, PPI is announced. CPI comes out the day before Mm -hmm. and the producer price index comes out on Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday the the 15th. 14th, 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 the 14th, and they're going to, they're going to make their announcement. So I just think it's a hawkish pause. Is any here? Let me ask you all a question. Anybody said anything about bank failures lately? You had the letters SVB. No, <laughs> you know? no. I mean, that, no. That, that, that has gone onto the back burner. I mean, that's, that's a very good question. It's a very good point. It has been moved to the back burner because the media has, again, shifted all their attention to AI, artificial intelligence. How is it going to improve? You know, talking about going back to the AI conversation, you know, back during the dot-com bubble era, a lot of companies would tack on dot-com to their company name, and they would be getting a bunch of buyers coming in, whether they were involved with the Internet or not. Now, 
we've been hearing companies using AI or the terminology AI in their press conference meetings or their analyst meetings after their earnings come out. Salesforce, symbol CRM, came out this past week with their earnings. And in their prepared analyst press conference, (laughs) they used the term AI 72 times. Not shooting from the hip. This was written. These were prepared statements. And so we're going to start hearing more and more companies putting this into their analyst conversations after earnings come out. But what was interesting this past week is let's think about some companies that you don't think of technology companies that could be dramatic. It could definitely increase their efficiencies by the by using AI companies such as transportation, trucking, shipping, um, you know, companies like FedEx, UPS, Old Dominion, all these different type companies that could very much see some improvements in their efficiencies, which is going to be going right into their bottom line and help with their EPS growth. Yeah, Jeff. May see increases in their efficiency. You need to put the word may. I said could, could, may. I mean, I didn't hear that. I didn't you say tomato, I say tomato. I mean, no, close I enough. I didn't hear that. I, Jeff, I, Jeff is a little more bullish, bearish on AI, too. No, I'm, I'm not being. Bearish stats, bearish AI. Hey, I, we got, we, we got an email. We got an email today of somebody trying to solicit our organization to contact them about their AI-based stock picking software. I was visiting dad a couple of days ago. Actually, part it was part of, it was Thursday evening. And he's like, you know, we've had a form of AI in the market for decades. We've mm-hmm. had computerized trading, algorithmic trading. It's like it's been repackaged and now named AI. And it's a whole new thing. We're going to repackage it all up. Well, now it's all shiny and new because we put the letters AI in it. Now, this is me being very cynical about software that that we could purchase to help us pick stocks. We already have all kinds of tools to do all kinds of screening. You know, just so these guys out here market, well, it's got AI in it. Really? (laughs) Oh. Well, here's the thing. AI stands for artificial intelligence. We have real intelligence. Right. Well, tell me this. Not artificial intelligence. Well, well, tell me this. Well, what's your track record of using this new AI-based system in long-term performance? What's your performance over the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25, 30? What is it? Tell me what it is. Well, oh, wait, you can't? Because you just developed it, right? You just, I mean, it's its new. It's been, it's all new. It's not anything that's been repackaged from the past. I mean, it's all new, ladies and gentlemen, because we put the letters AI on it. You know, come on. Not well, cynical at all, Jeff. I mean, that, no, not cynical at all. That's just with, you know, in our particular industry. Now, are there going to be benefits to other industries? Maybe, maybe there'll be benefits, but I don't know at this point. But certainly, the market has found something to seek its te- its 
sink its teeth into. Is it, it's and, it the new is it the new shiny object? Like a cat. It's the new, yeah. it's, it's new, it's the new shiny object. It's, it's the new shiny object. Yeah. Well, let's let's take a pause, Joe. I'll come back to you because I know there was something you wanted to say about this. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, we're kind of having a roundtable discussion, as we always do on every weekend's MoneyWise program. But, Joe, I know we're going to get back to your question about what we think the Fed's going to do, pause, skip, and all that. We'll get back to that. But I know the last conversation we had before break, again, talking about AI, is it the shiny new object uh, for all these companies to start using this terminology to try to catch investors' attention, to start buying their stocks because of the potential that AI could bring to their business, its efficiencies that lead right to its bottom line, but there was a point you wanted to make I, I, before I break. Admit, I got to admit, okay, AI is a hell of a lot more sexy than the Fed either pausing, hiking, or <laughs> skipping interest rates. I'll just admit that right now. So I would, I will concur. I will concur. It's sexy when the companies that are attached to AI, or the or the companies that the market has anointed that are attached to AI in some way are doing exceptionally well. So, yeah, it's very sexy to talk about gains. But as Kyle has already you know, has pointed out, and we've been pointing out over and over again, uh, the gains this year, the, the, the statistics, you know, the S&P and the NASDAQ, to me, don't really reflect what's happening in the broader market. And, and oddly and ironically enough, the index with the narrowest, number, the fewest stocks in it, which would be the Dow Jones Industrial Average, only 30 stocks, being up 1.9% for the year, seems to more accurately reflect the broader market in general's performance. And, and, and honestly, it, we had kind of an attack of the Fridays again this past week because the Dow going into Friday was negative year to date. The entire gain for the Dow Jones Industrial Average has all occurred on Friday's close, being up 1.9%. Last week on the show, Kyle was talking about value and dividend-paying stocks because eventually, and the equally weighted S&P, eventually these other companies are going to get a bid. Eventually it's going to happen. And we saw a little bit of that on Friday. Friday. We had a whole year, Jeff was saying, on a Friday. So, Here's the question. Do those companies catch a bid? before those companies that have got us here in terms of performance come back the other way? That's, well, that, that's, that, that's, a, you know, that's a question for me. And, and we've answered it. We haven't really committed a whole lot of new money to stocks here in the last few months. Very I, little. I, I, I wanted to mention something, too, and I had this question yesterday or Thursday. I was after work, I was by the pool and the guy that I know that he's a bond trader, does a lot of bonds. And he, he, you know, 
he thinks there's a pretty good chance we're going to see a recession this year. Friday, I had a client thinking, okay, the company I work for, which is a very large uh, engineering company, is seeing a slowdown, okay, globally, but really even domestically and back orders for construction work. So if we do have a recession, my whole point about this is look at the, the Dow Jones, okay, and value. You look at the small caps. Kyle hit on it the last second about small caps. If we do have a recession, this is why you want to have a diversified portfolio. Because hypothetically, even if we have a shallow recession, but asset class usually performs really well out of out of the recession. Small caps. Small, yeah, we don't small caps. So and value have, holds up better. Yeah. So we have a small piece. We we have an allocation, maybe a little bit underweight to small caps. But what I'm getting at is when small caps or even EM emerging markets when they flip, all right, and they have their run, you have to have exposure there. You can't. It is almost. It's going back over my career. It's extremely challenging to figure out. All right, when we come out of recession, when are small caps going to rally? When are when are emerging markets going to have their day? You have to have a little of exposure, which we do in these asset classes, to take advantage of it. Because, I mean, yes, the Nasdaq and the tech and this AI bubble can happen pretty quickly, but historically, all we can look at is a calendar chart and see what happens during certain periods of time and what asset classes outperform. And my my whole point is. I don't want to harp on diversification too much, but make sure you have to. Yeah, but you absolutely have to focus on diversification because, remember, if you don't already have participation in these particular asset classes and you miss the one, two, maybe three biggest up moves on a single given day in a given year of that asset class just dramatically outperforming, it could significantly impact your annualized total return in your portfolio on a long-term investment basis. And so that's why diversification is such a key. Now, this whole thing about AI, yes, it's gotten a run. It's gotten some attention. We're finally starting to see retail investors have some interest in these companies. But let's not forget, these companies have been around for years. They make solid products. They're the leaders in the space that they are, are participating in, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Google, whether it's Amazon, you know, Meta. Uh, NVIDIA, you know, Broadcom, which for all intents and purposes has really been viewed as a value tech stock for I don't know how many number of years because it pays a consistent nice dividend. It's had single-digit price-earning multiples for I don't know how many years, and it just seemed like kind of the stodgy old, they make not really fancy crazy chips for cars and, and appliances and things of that nature, well, guess what? It's had a 25% plus run in just the past two weeks and is finally approaching double-digit price earnings multiples. And so, you know, Broadcom is a stock for full disclosure that we've owned in our portfolios for a number of years. Uh, it's not the sexiest tech name, but guess what? It's a solid producer of results, and it's fundamentally as sound as the Rock of Gibraltar. And that's what you want to own in your portfolio is fundamentally sound companies not just for the short term, but have a long-term track record in history. And don't get caught up, as we talked on last week in show, of the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Don't say, oh, I don't own Microsoft, NVIDIA, Google. I don't own any of these. I'm going to be putting 7 8% of my investable net worth in each one of these stocks, and I'm going to let it ride after we've had this big run. We wouldn't recommend that. In fact, we don't recommend you have more than 5% of your net worth of in any one individual stock. Exchange-traded funds, that's fine because it's a diversified portfolio. 
mutual fund, that's fine because it's a diversified portfolio. I'm talking individual stock names. Well, so, Joe. And we talked about it last week. Have a strategy if you're if you're a home gamer and you're building a portfolio, no more than 5% in one stock. I mean, our target's about 1% in a certain amount of stocks, no more than 1%. And if, obviously, if we have substantial gains and it's 1.2%, we want to trim back. We're not there That's yet right. with all of our holdings. But the point is you have to have a game plan. You have to have a discipline when you're doing this yourself. That's and, right. Uh, it, it, and I just, from the AI bubble, I second what you're saying about these companies are different. They were great companies, have great balance sheets, and a lot of them have dividends and have real earnings and real cash flow. And, and it's, it, to this me, it's, just, it's different. Yeah. This well, is so, just an accelerant. This is just yeah, an accelerant. Tech bubble. So, yeah, but. this is just an accelerant. It's not like two guys start a company out of their garage and put .com at the end of it. At the end of it, they go public, and next thing you know, they're billionaires and have no product and have no track record. It's not like it was back in the late 90s, early 2000, before the dot-com bubble burst. But we've got a long ways to go. This is just in its, in its infancy stage. I wanted to sh- – Jeff, do you want to say something? Because I wanted yeah. to shift gear back to Joe's question. Before we shift gears, <clears throat> yes, that's true. These are, these are not your – these are not our dot-com stocks of the 1990s. However, if you, if you have a security that's doubled or more – in a short period of time, then the earnings that are coming out in the in the subsequent quarters, whether it's the third quarter or the fourth quarter, the growth in revenues and or profits better reflect uh, a reasonable expectation to justify doubling the stock price in the first four or five months. If you if you raise revenues. Five percent or profits five percent, and then you put out uh, guidance that well we might be up two or three percent in the next quarter. I don't know. I just don't know if that's really going to excite investors to keep putting money in in a stock like that that might have doubled if it really isn't showing the kind of growth and revenues and profits that justify having the stock value go up as much as it has. Wow. So so granted these companies, you know, have real real revenues, real earnings, real profits, have long have longer long histories of operations. It's different than the dot com era. At the in the end, the the valuations always have to be justified by the fundamentals it eventually always has to be justified by the fundamentals yes kyle or joe well i was going to say unless unless, uh, hold on unless you change the way you value it from uh price to sales (laughs) like your video (laughs) sorry joe go ahead well and the whole point about building your portfolio is you have to have discipline so if you have a hundred if you have doubled your stock all of a sudden you had you know your your holdings are one percent now they're two percent and we always say you never go broke taking a profit. That's what you're supposed never. to do. If you'd even done that with your cost basis during the tech bubble and you're up two, three hundred percent on the on the stock, and you would have trimmed that and maybe bought something, you know, value, you know, gone to a different asset class or bought some stocks that are down, you'd have been a lot better than just letting it run. You have to have a discipline whenever you're managing a portfolio. That's how the big mutual funds work. That's how money managers work, is you have to have a discipline and you have to take profits when you can. And there's an old saying about, you know, about uh, uh, hogs and everything else. And 
And well, it came from Jim Cramer, yeah. yeah. Bears yeah. make money, bulls make money, hogs get slaughtered. That's absolutely yeah. right. Don't be a hog, okay? That's right. Don't, don't be a don't, hog. Don't be a hog. Always remember, never go broke taking a profit. Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, during the commercial break, we talked about how we kind of got off on a tangent from Joe's question that he asked us, I think, two segments ago of what we think the Fed is going to do during their uh, June 13th and 14th Fed meeting. I know Jeff had mentioned a, a segment or two ago that he feels that the Fed is going to have a hawkish pause. I'm going to concur with Jeff's uh, opinion. I also think that they're going to have a hawkish pause where they're going to pause rates, but they're going to continue to talk tough about we could potentially raise rates in the future, but we're going to hold off right now because it takes time for all of our interest rate increases to filter its way through to the economy, plus with the tighter credit lending standards uh, because of the banking, uh, I don't want to say crisis, but the banking issues we had going back to March. So we have to see that also take a hold and sink its claws deeper into the economy. So we're going to pause, but we can change our minds at any time. It's all going to be data dependent. And the Fed is going to have to continue to be hawkish because they're still wiping the big old cream pie off of their face from 2021, where they talked about inflation being transitory. So the last thing the Fed wants to do is raise rates too much, the economy completely falls out of bed, and then they have to turn around and say, whoops, and now we have to start aggressively cutting rates. Uh, So they want to avoid a second cream pie in the face. So they'll pause and just be data dependent, but continue to talk tough. And Joe, well, what is your what is your yeah, thoughts? Well, my son Louis is is helping Jeff and Corpus keep keep Jeff sane, and he he says he votes for pause. I'm just going to roll with skip just to be different. I'm like, if this is a betting thing. I mean, somebody's got to win some money somehow. So I'm just going to. Is it like the over under? Is it like the over under? You're taking the over. I like new terminology. You know, like transitory inflation. And skip. So I'm like, we're going to, June, we're not going to raise, then probably going to raise a quarter. In July. In July and be done with it. That's what I Really? Okay. All right. Well, write those down. Write those down. So shifting gears, besides uh, having another attack of the Fridays with a big, huge up day across the board in the markets, we also had the employment number come out on Friday. Jeff, I don't know if you had that in your hands because I've got the information written down here, so I didn't know if you wanted me to do it or you do it. Well, I just uh, these. I know you have probably some more some deeper statistics than I than I have. Uh, non-farm payrolls rose by three hundred and ninety thousand in the month of May. 
and the unemployment remained unchanged. Unemployment rate remained unchanged at 3.6%. I'm not sure what the estimate was. I think it was in the twos for job growth, uh, but I, I had uh, up 390,000. Well, I had the unemployment rate. I, I had the unemployment rate at three point seven. Okay. Well, at three point seven, two hundred thirty-nine thousand jobs created. Three thirty-nine. Okay. Yeah, I saw three thirty-nine. Now the U six bumped up to six point seven. But I'd say one thing that the market responded to is the um, is the average hourly earnings was below expectations, only up three tenths of a percent. So it was a tenth cooler than what was originally anticipated. But as far as the number of jobs created, yes, well above estimates. But the unemployment rate did go up because more folks had reported being unemployed in the household survey. So that's why we saw a bump up in the unemployment rate. But bottom line is the unemployment rate is still at a historically low level. The U6 is, is just one-tenth hotter than the all-time low for the U6 unemployment number, which what I consider as an employment statistic nerd being considered, you know, the full true employment unemployment number of 6.7. Um, <laughs> he is an it, unemployment nerd, ladies and gentlemen. That, that, <laughs> that's right. He's so, an M2 money supply nerd. Yeah, too. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard M2 talked about much lately. And a ball you uh, heard. He'll be happy to look it up for everybody. No, that's right. Well, the M2 money supply has been coming down because that excess savings, the excess savings has been, you know, been burning off. But we're still trillions of dollars in excess money supply above where it was pre-COVID. And that and that's the bottom line. So there's still a lot of cash out there. I know there was a I don't think we talked about earnings and what is because we're now like 99 percent reported for the first quarter and going into the quarter the expectations were that we were going to have back-to-back earnings declines it was like a little less like two minus two something in the fourth quarter fourth quarter was minus 4.4 for earnings decline for the fourth quarter of 2022 uh, and then going in to the first quarter of 2023 earnings, they were anticipating a negative 6.7 uh, of earnings growth. So earnings, another earnings decline, continuing in an earnings recession. But as of the close of business on Friday, as you mentioned, Jeff, 99% of the S&P 500 companies have reported their earnings per share. Now, 78% of those companies reported positive earnings per share surprises. And 75% of those companies have reported positive revenue surprises. So the large majority of companies in the S&P 500 were above expectations on earnings per share and on revenue. Now, what was also interesting is they really got to the final earnings decline percentage. Now, originally, they were thinking it was going to be 6.7, but it wound up being only down 2.1%. 2.1%. So, yes, we've had an official earnings recession because we have two back-to-back quarters from an earnings standpoint of negative growth, but it was much better than expectation. Uh, so that is a good thing. Now, looking at Ford, uh, looking at the Ford price earnings multiple, it's set at 18, which is below the five-year forward price earnings multiple for the S&P 500 of 18.6, but it is slightly above 
the 10-year average of 17.3. So when you hear analysts talk about how overvalued the S&P 500 is, uh, not by these statistics. It's below the five-year average. And if you strip out those those 10 stocks that we've been talking about all show, I think the price earning multiple of the S&P 500 is going to be that below 16. Yeah, I think you're probably right, and we should, we'll should we have to work on maybe checking that out for the next show. But the other thing that you have to take into consideration is what were interest rates 10 years ago. What's the average of interest rates been over the last 10 years? Substantially lower than That's they right. are today. That's right. That's absolutely right. So I know Dad was wanting that statistic, so we had to look it up to give him that before we go to the top of the hour break. So first quarter 2023 earnings, let's just say for all intents and purposes, is in the bag. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education, so stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time. And I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors behavior and so doing some research and really where this spur you know really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago uh, Dalbar released a study and they released a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own and and from time to time when I meet with prospective clients and current clients we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios so in my research I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder I want to give them the credit for for putting this presentation together which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans the your human psyche 
become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic historic investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish objectives and and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, They also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's a a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever and as a matter of fact has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the the conserv- really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows. Every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still. I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long. Run runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press. Because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tuned it out a little bit more. Or if they do continue to listen to it, to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it, depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind um, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be 
built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70 plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet silver. stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a pretty uh, good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are, that are managing their own assets. And one, one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% 
of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401K, contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account. Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at 
investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision-making. And so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index, the new Oh, brother, did you hear that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean... They use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside, every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P five hundred index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Yeah. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, it, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out 
And putting into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment if analogies are used to represent stability. And analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the the value of the security could go down and how uh, those those t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed but the focus is all on the yield that's right and, and not and not you know can i get my money out if i need to liquidate how fast can i get a hold of my money and what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment kind of going back to that i'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and, and again, going into... Uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental, mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks. To us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, 
than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor, since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio. Now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Kramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance, I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners, and guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds, cash, cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a, contra- you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions, but is unlikely to produce 
higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency – it's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news – Without reasonable examination, going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it, it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers, but because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. 
which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average, 100% in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion, and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your, emo- your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to 50 i'll sell and that is Hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior, and as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing, and I promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio 
you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the fifteen percent plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, Oh, I want a ten percent return, but I don't want but I only want twenty percent of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector, it's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model. Model one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment, and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking. We've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes, with our own client base. It's somewhere, it it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded, which doesn't sound like a lot, but get out of cal- that's a difference between 
a 7% compounded return and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And Stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to f- get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.